Hello, and welcome to the June edition of the Wellcore Supplies CAODC podcast. I'm John Baco. Thanks for joining us. We've got a great show ahead for you this month. Our guests are CAODC President and CEO Mark Schultz, who joins us to discuss his President's message, released a few weeks back. Uh, and then, in an attempt to lift our spirits a little bit, we speak to Oil Bull and Nine Point Partners Partner and Senior Portfolio Manager Eric Nuttall, who gives us his thoughts on what the second half of 2020 has in store for Canadian oil and gas. Well, as our regular listeners will know, last month we had Alberta Energy Minister, the Honourable Sonia Savage, join us for a great discussion. We posted the show and started promoting it per usual. But little did we know that a couple of days later, uh, the old Weldcore Supply CAODC podcast would be the talk of the activist world. And Minister Savage's comments would be under fire from none other than teenage activist Greta Thunberg. If you haven't heard the episode, I would encourage you to listen to it because it really is a great example of how a normal conversation and and facts can get distorted in the activist world. Um, I can safely say we could never have anticipated how anything said by the minister would have ended up being controversial, yet for a couple of days it seemed to be the talk of the town and her comments were splattered across international media, including the New York Times and Huffington Post, And it was covered, of course, by the local media as well. Through it all, though, I was blown away at how our energy minister did not back down one iota. Instead, she stood her ground and she stood up for every one of us who work in the Canadian oil and gas industry. And it was great to see. It was also great to see how Premier Kenny, Minister Nixon, several others stood behind her and stood behind us 100%. Uh, But it was really impressive to watch how Minister Savage refused to bend under a completely random attack. And and she really set an example for those who so often these days find themselves or something they've said suddenly under baseless uh, scrutiny. So thank you, Minister. Uh, I don't know if you'll ever want to do the show again, (laughs) but we sure thank you for being here. And we sure thank you for standing up for us. And we'd love to have you back on at some point. Anyway, we've got another great, if not quite as controversial show for you this month, and we'll kick it off with the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by CAODC Rig Data. CAODC Rig Data is the most accurate and up-to-date data on the Canadian drilling and service rig sector. If you would like more information on how to access CAODC Rig Data, check out our website at caodc.ca. On the drilling side, in May, we had only 543 operating days, down from 766 last month and 2,230 operating days in May of 2019. The month-over-month decrease is 29%, and the year-over-year decrease is a staggering 76%. Active rigs for the month averaged 15, down from 84 in 2019, or a decrease of 12,075 jobs year over year. Our registered drilling rig fleet remains at 512 compared to 547 this time last year. Provincially, in May, Alberta averaged 77% of active rigs, BC 17%, and Saskatchewan 7%. In 2019, Alberta had 71% of active rigs, BC 10%, 
and Saskatchewan 18%. So it looks like Saskatchewan has picked up some market share in May this year, but on substantially lower numbers. We are setting new record lows through Q2 2020, and as hard as we try to put a positive spin on things, the numbers speak for themselves. Some CAODC members have been successful in obtaining the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy funding to keep them afloat through Q2 and into the summer. Uh, the weather has been wet in Western Canada, which would have meant a slow quarter in the best of times, but 15 active rigs is still dramatically below anything we've seen. Uh, such an extended period of low activity means if and when things do come back, the labor force and finding people to crew rigs is going to be as difficult as it ever has been. Uh, Aventive announced yet another round of layoffs this month, and CAODC members have been reducing headcounts steadily since March. Companies in the service sector continue to sharpen steel with steel and are learning to do more with less every day, which means those that can withstand the drought should be well situated to capitalize on any uptick, while the reduced labor force and tighter fleet numbers should have an upward impact on pricing. So there's a bit of a positive spin on it. Um, on the service side, operating hours in May were down 73% over 2019 totals. This year we saw only 20,628 hours versus 76,560 in 2019, and that's a decrease of 55,932 operating hours. Month over month, however, we had 13,837 op hours in May, so we are up, actually, just over 6,700 hours, which is great. Uh, the working rate count in May, the working service rate count in May was 181, down from 432 in May of last year. From what we understand, $37.6 million of grant money for the Alberta Site Reclamation Program has been awarded in Phase 1 and allocated to 90 Alberta companies so far. And the Alberta Department of Energy is reviewing 1,000 applications per day. So uh, apparently most of the Phase 1 applications involved sites where the downhole work was already complete, which means CAODC service rig members weren't likely to see much activity initially. But let's keep in mind, however, that this is a lot of money, and once things get going, uh, service rig members will likely be seeing work on the SRP for quite a while. Also, we hear both British Columbia and Saskatchewan's application processes are underway, so activity should be ramping up there as well as we get into the summer months. And that's it for the industry update for May 2020. Our industry update is brought to you, as always, by CAODC Rig Data. CAODC Rig Data is the most accurate and up-to-date data on the Canadian drilling and service rig sector. If you'd like more information on how to access CAODC Rig Data, check out our website at caodc.ca. Okay, stick around because coming up we have CAODC President and CEO Mark Schultz, followed by Nine Point Partners, Partner and Senior Portfolio Manager, Eric Nuttall. We'll be right back. WealthCore is proud to support those who are working hard to keep our country running. Proud to be a Canadian-owned welding filler metal supply company in a country that has the highest environmental and human rights standards in the world. WealthCore supports ethical oil. WealthCore supports the Canadian oil and gas sector. The world needs ethical oil. The world needs Canadian oil. Let WealthCore Supplies help you make that happen. 
Welcome back to the WeldCore Supplies CAODC podcast. Joining us now, our special guest, CAODC president and CEO, my boss, Mark Schultz. Mark, how are you today? Well, it's wonderful to be here. We're starting to see the the spring finally break its way through the the, the mighty clouds and got a little bit of rain, obviously a little bit more than expected, uh, rain and hail for many parts of uh, uh, central and southern uh, Alberta, but it's great to be here. And uh, we got some exciting news to share with our audience and uh, to talk about the future. And, you know, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to, you know, elevate yourself and and try to think about what the next three, five, ten years look like uh, for our industry. But it's important we have those conversations and we're having them today. Well, we just heard some of the numbers and for the last couple of months, things have been grim. Um, We're looking at just over 500 drilling days for May. And we haven't seen levels like this ever. Uh, Activity has just been decimated And we're at a bit of a crossroads as an industry, that's for sure. So I think that prompted you to release a message last week. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the thinking behind that? Yeah, so I came out with a message from the president which talks about our efforts to carry out a strategic review of our association. Um, You know, our industry is... John, as you would know, and our our audience knows, is rapidly changing. Uh, New ideas and potentially new association models are going to be needed to ensure we adapt and ultimately serve the industry in the best possible way. Uh, You know, we want to have a conversation with as many people and respond accordingly as an association. So as part of our strategic review, look, we don't have any preconceived outcome. Instead, we want to have uh, a grassroots approach a grassroots conversation and let industry drive this agenda. Um, You know, one of the things that was very interesting and telling uh, that I think we're on the right track in terms of wanting to have this conversation is that when I, uh, shortly after uh, that release, that president's message um, indicating we were doing a strategic review, the phones lit up. I had uh, a number of leaders within the industry and basically said, you know, we don't know what the future looks like, but we want to be part of this conversation. Um, I think people are looking for bold leadership. They're looking for um, an opportunity to have their say in what, as we shape uh, the future of our industry. Um, One of the things I would point out, John, is that you know, nearly 95% of the Canadian energy service uh, business uh, is has no representation at all. They have no mechanism, um, for whatever reason, uh, to add their important voices to the agenda. And we want to reach out to those folks. We want to engage with them, collaborate with them, uh, and ultimately create value in the sector that we haven't seen before. So in the end, um, who's gonna be making the, the ultimate decision on where we go? It's gonna be our current members and our prospective members that I've been 
talking to on a regular and daily basis, um, they're the ones that are going to make the final decision. And I think it's going to be, um, it's, uh, you know, as hard as it is to grapple with the current situation, we're excited about the future because you and I both know this industry is not going away anytime soon, but it's going to change and we need to adapt with yeah. that. So for those listeners who haven't seen it, uh, Mark's president's message is up on caodc.ca. Uh, you can find the link there, give it a read. Um, and it, it, it addresses, as, as Mark has been saying, some huge concerns for this industry uh, in the future here. I, you know, we've been in an unprecedented downturn for five years. Of course, we've come through um, this pandemic now. And, you know, there's a constant sustained attack from industry opposition driving this message that fossil fuels will not be around in the short term. And all of these things combined have created a real need for the energy services industry in Canada to preserve and protect itself. And so how do we do that collectively? And that's a huge question. So what, what's some of the feedback you've been hearing then from, from members? Well, I would say it's uh, it, mostly it's very positive. Um, I think for the folks that uh, read the, the, the president's message, um, came across um, with a sense of optimism about the CAODC and our, our uh, genuine interest in ensuring broad-based representation uh, and creating tremendous value in the industry. You know, the CAODC has been around for 80 years, uh, and we have a, a tremendous model, a model that has served our members, again, for eight decades. Um, and we're in a position, we're in a very a good position to be able to serve the industry. And we want to take that same winning model, um, although we'll likely you know, make some tweaks and, and we're going to be flexible and nimble as we um, as we have our conversations with industry. But uh, we want to have um, we want to deliver value for for businesses and we want to advocate for them in a way that elevates the conversation about the proposition of our resource sector and the importance of it mm -hmm. to both Canadians, the public. Uh, but also to all levels of government in our country. Well, I think it's it's becoming more and more clear each day uh, to people. And so I've been in the industry since 2006, and I've seen a market shift in people's opinions on how important things like advocacy are. Um, you know, we used to sail along, and I think it was you know, certainly in Western Canada, but the rest of the country as well, appreciated um, the oil and gas industry and what it did. Um, that's not so much the case anymore. We have a lot of work to do uh, surrounding the environment. You know, we do so many good things uh, and, and protecting our industry is not only important for our jobs and for, um, you know, the businesses that our industry supports and the communities in which those businesses operate, but it is so important for Canadians to be involved in producing oil and gas so that we can continue to develop our industry-leading technology and continue to bring down GHG emissions 
and keep things clean and, and uh, responsible. And so even our opponents, I think, don't understand the degree to which we are helping them along with their cause as well. And so, you know, we're kind of protecting them in some ways against themselves by ensuring that we're going to be viable because we know that oil and gas isn't going to go away anytime soon. So when you talk about some of the things that people are, are concerned about, advocacy is one. Uh, what are some other areas that um, I guess you're getting feedback on that, that uh, you know, people in our industry are, feel are really paramount right now? Well, I mean, great comments. And um, what I can share with you, John, is uh, you're right. Advocacy, the talking about the macro issues, uh, about, you know, how to, you know, deal with the, the fundamentals of what makes our industry grow, what makes it great, what makes it be an economic driver. Um, all of those are really important to convey to government in terms of, look, we want a good investment climate. We want to have a competitive regulatory regime. You know, we want to have a, um, a, a very technical labor force that's ready to work on some of the most sophisticated uh, equipment in the industrialized world. Um, so all of those things are, are really important to be discussing on a macro level and will not go away and nor will it we shy away from the focus of that in this new organization or whatever this looks like uh, down the road. But what I can tell you is that businesses and service companies, uh, they still want an association to help them with the day-to-day -day and the here and now. And what are you doing for me today that's helping me improve my bottom line? Attract people, uh, get permits, um, and to operate successfully. And so what I have always said, at any time I meet with any of my members and those who are listening right now will know this, is that I treat our association and my job as we're, we're, we're essentially portfolio managers. And you're investing your hard-earned dollars into the CAODC. And you expect a return for that investment. And if our association is not providing you a dividend and a solid yield at the end of the year, you shouldn't be a member of this organization. And what I can say is that our members vote with their dollars. We have not lost a single driller in 2020. We have not lost a single well servicing company. And that says to me is we have a winning, uh, we have a winning model that says that um, our members feel that a membership in the association is not a discretionary expenditure, it's a necessity. Uh, and they see tremendous value because the dollars they put in are multiplied uh, on the back end. And so whatever we look at, whatever design um, and, and framework that this new enterprise or new association looks like, if we incorporate new uh, membership um, uh, membership streams and, and different service uh, service companies. It has to provide that value. And so the the other thing that I would mention is in order to provide that value, it, we have to continue with a customer intimacy business model, which means that we understand every aspect, uh, every challenge, every opportunity, 
broadly speaking, on a macro level that our, that our membership uh, is facing. And if we are to be successful in a new organization, we have to be intentional and strategic in the type of energy service companies and the type of energy services that we begin to represent and broaden our base. And so uh, as part of this strategic review, we're very conscientious of that. And we wanna make sure we get this right. Taking lead from industry, obviously, um, but that's the winning combination is a customer business, customer intimacy business model. And secondly, um, you know, clearly understanding that businesses that want to be part of this new vision, they want to see a tangible return. And we're going to offer that. Well, very exciting times. Thank you uh, for the information. What can members expect in the uh, next couple of months? Well, I think over the summer that we're going to be doing a lot of listening, John. Um, I, we will, although with uh, COVID-19, my preference uh, has always been to be uh, sitting across uh, the desk or the table in, uh, in the various communities across Western Canada and talking to people. That's what I love about this role, what I love about the association is the opportunity to talk and to try to problem solve and, and develop uh, solutions for our guys. So my preference uh, would be hopping on a plane or in a, in a car and, and just uh, crisscrossing across Western Canada and listening and uh, hearing what people think about this idea. But we'll have to do a lot more Skype and Zoom and phone calls, which is uh, the reality of the situation we're in today, which is um, uh, obviously not, uh, not as beneficial, I think, or advantageous as meeting people face to face. But... We're going to get um, we're going to do the same thing that we, we wanted to, whether we're meeting face to face or talking on the phone is we want to listen. We want to be humble and we want to ultimately create value in the industry. And uh, that's that's really fundamentally what we're here to do through this strategic review. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mark, uh, for all your hard work. And uh, thanks for taking the time to join us today. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around because we will be back with partner and senior portfolio manager with Nine Point Partners LP, Mr. Eric Nuttall. Wellcore is proud to support those who are working hard to keep our country running. Proud to be a Canadian-owned welding filler metal supply company in a country that has the highest environmental and human rights standards in the world. Wellcore supports ethical oil. Wellcore supports the Canadian oil and gas sector. The world needs ethical oil. The world needs Canadian oil. Let Wellcore Supplies help you make that happen. Welcome back to the Wellcore Supplies CAODC podcast. Joining us now is Eric Nuttall, Partner and Senior Portfolio Manager with Nine Point Partners. Mr. Nuttall was named one of the Canadian Top Gun Investment Mines Class of 2017 and his views are regularly sought after by the Business News Network, the Globe and Mail, the National Post, the Calgary Herald, CNBC, and the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us, Eric. I know many of our members are big fans of yours, and we watch and appreciate your analysis. Good to be with you. It's been a, a long road for oil and gas in Canada, <laughs> and I think um, if you ask some they may tell you that the crows are circling, but we have seen a nice little uptick since our record low of negative pricing there. 
Uh, did the bounce back happen faster than you would have thought, or was the timing somewhere in your anticipated ballpark? Yeah, it's been a heck of a difficult uh, environment to analyze recently because getting good data, I think, has been the problem for all of us. We've been reliant on uh, estimates using everything from satellite tracking and data imagery. There's been a lot of fear mongering, I think, on the part of some of the larger oil trading houses, which were you know, going around, running around saying that, oh, my God, demand's down 30, 35 million barrels per day. Those who wanted to talk about, you know, the new normal and how none of us are ever going to be going into work again and permanent demand destruction and how that's going to, you know, take years and years for oil demand to recover. And so it's, it's gratifying. I, I feel like I was one of the few guys out there saying, look at like this too shall pass. You know, this is as bad as it is. It's going to get better. Demand is going to come back. And so when we see headlines on Friday of last week from those very same people that wanted to scare people, I think, out of their, their long positions, and then are now saying that demand is only down 10%, and you know, we're on the path to recovery. We see uh, around the world um, passenger flights are now down roughly 60%, which is still down 60%, but it's not down 97%. We know the driving gasoline demand is quickly going back to normal. So I'm, I'm really optimistic. Um, you know, the demand recovery, I was one of the most optimistic, I think, out there. And I would say the pace of recovery has even surprised me. I think we all are yearning to go back to our old lifestyle. And that lifestyle is hugely energy dependent. That's for sure. So we know the markets are extremely complex. Um, do you see any particular variables? So supply, demand, pricing, uh, natural gas pricing, market access, shale declines. Do you see any of those being more prominent in influencing markets in the second half of 2020? Well, it is surely demand um, is the primary variable to watch, like the pace of normalization in demand. If demand truly was down 30, you know, no supply cut possible could obviously balance that. So demand is the first thing. It's the first thing I look for every morning. I'm on Twitter looking for data points on uh, gasoline consumption, um, you know, broad economic activity and then uh, flights. And so I'm, I'm tracking that. In terms of supply, uh, I think compliance on the part of OPEC on their um, uh, historic cut is going to be high. You know, you've, you, you've member nations that absolutely, absolutely require a meaningfully higher oil price to be a going concern. And so, yeah, there can be cheating here and there, but the broad direction is high compliance. And so the last thing I'm looking for is for U.S. shale. You know, the possibility, which although I don't believe this, but the possibility that it's going to be your short cycle, you know, fastest to come back on online. And, you know, while we've got shut in production that's coming online this month and next month, I think the biggest dynamic to watch is what's going to be the pace of recovery if there is one in the U.S. rig count, specifically in the Permian. We know we're down 72 percent uh, year to date. And my own thesis is you're not going to get a sensitivity of the the, the historical relationship between spending and oil price is just not going to be there now as companies, EMPs, have to repair some of the balance sheet damage that is incurred. And then you've got guys like me saying, look, at the valuation of your stocks is so low. How can you possibly justify going and drilling a well when you should be taking that money buying back your own stock and achieving production per share in, in that manner. So those are the, the two biggest variables I'm, I'm looking for. There's some kind of bigger macro things like global offshore, 
We know investment in long-lead projects really nosedived beginning in 2016. We know there's been lack of sufficient investment. And for the few of us who've been watching it, we've all been waiting to see, okay, when does that finally have an impact? And it should be uh, in the second half of this year. So that's a big deal. That's global offshore, about one in four barrels produced going into a multi-year period of stagnation and declines. And because of the four to six year cycle time, that's pretty much locked and loaded. So, you know, it's the, the beginning of that trend has been extended longer than I certainly thought, but it, it should be any, any time now. So th- those are kind of the bigger macro things that I'm, I'm watching. Okay. Uh, industry opponents often argue that heavy oil has no market. We heard uh, some of the stronger opponents uh, railing against that actually a couple of months ago. Um, as somebody who studies the markets extensively, how do you view that opinion? Well, I think that opinion is based on, on absolute ignorance. Uh, we know the agendas of those same people who shall go unnamed, but we all know who we're talking about here. You know, so it's just a completed ESC. You know, Canada produces the grades of oil that are in most demand. You know, and it, it's a it's a it's a really really it's com- it's complicated. So I think it's very difficult for industry to do a good job of communicating it. But we know the market was saturated in the ultralights coming from U.S. shales. We know the Gulf of Mexico set up to process exactly what Canada produces, and it's evidenced in differentials sitting at about eight bucks today for WCF. So our our product is really really in demand. And so those people saying, well, geez, there's no Asian demand. Well, we we had you know batch exports going off. Um, I just I don't I don't see the merit to that. It, it makes for you know 15 second punchlines when people are trying to advocate for not building out pipelines, saying that there's no demand for our oil. But again, it, it's rooted in complete idiocy, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of pipelines, does a Biden win? Um, in November derail Keystone again? And if, if it does, do you think that'll be a critical blow to any meaningful uh, recovery? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to handicap when you're talking about politics, because I always think, okay, well, logic should prevail, but we've seen in the past that can always come to pass. So, you know, what for what Biden is saying versus what he will actually do, time will tell. You know, if he does get elected, I would, I would kind of handicap Keystone as being, you know, kind of Put out of its misery. Um, from a Canadian perspective, is it absolutely necessary? It's not. You know, I think that TMX, there is political will. You know, it's all taking significantly longer, and we we know all the legal sagas that that has gone through. But my understanding is it has the Prime Minister's office backing, and that will go ahead. We've got Line Three going through there. You know, different vagaries and, and objections, but with Line Three and TMX in a scenario which I foresee, and that is muted growth coming out of Canada and globally for that matter because of the investment community's demand on greater emphasis on return of capital and paying down debt and bringing debt down to lower levels. I I don't see that it being a necessity for Keystone, frankly. Like, it'd be nice to have. Like, there's no such thing as too much takeaway capacity from the angle of a producer and then by extension for the service sector. Um, but I, I don't think it would be a massive, ne- massively negative uh, catalyst. I, I think people are so pessimistic on Canada still. It's the reason why, for the fund that I run, 100% of my money is invested in Canada because I'm getting free optionality on a better future, which I believe in, 
and I can buy the equities that are that are not discounting that. Okay, so, and you've kind of touched on it already, but what is the current state of investor sentiment for Canadian oil and gas, and do you see any, I guess, positive indica- indications that it will improve internationally in terms of uh, you know people looking towards us again as as a as a real opportunity? So let's let's start with energy in general, and then we'll dive down into Canada specifically. We know the energy sector has been under assault for years. You know, it's, it started off as a sector that became extremely volatile because we, we had significant and abrupt changes, whether it was the rise of U.S. shale, which, you know, more than satisfied demand growth for the past five years. And to this was to be the critical year where that reality was no longer the case. We've had to deal with pivots in OPEC strategy and having oil, the price of oil nosedive uh, a couple of times, you know, the past couple of years. So the sector itself has been volatile and the backdrop has been other sectors, mainly tech, have been doing significantly better. So representation in major stock indices, whether it's the TSX, yeah, today it's about 17% of the TSX is energy. That's down by half. In the U.S., about 3% of the S&P 500 is energy. So it's another reason why I'm bullish on Canada specifically, and that's because U.S. energy stocks are really battling for relevance. Like a general fund manager can spend as much time in Microsoft as he does on the entire U.S. energy sector, and you kind of know where their their mental headspace has been at. Mm. At the same time, you know, we have ESG headwinds, which I think we're kind of at the apex of. So in viral social and governance concerns about, you know, investing in dirty oil and, and the evils of hydrocarbons, which, again, is a whole other conversation. I think those headwinds are starting to or will soon be slowly fading as the large investment funds become a little more sophisticated with how they measure it. And we all know on an ESG basis, Canada really, really stands out. Like surely on the environmental side, you know, as an industry, we need to do continue to do an even better job of talking about the, how the oil and gas sector is the largest investor in clean tech in Canada. From a social perspective, the oil and gas sector is the largest uh, employer by far of First Nations. You know, from an ethical perspective, where would you as an oil consumer rather get your oil? From Canada, where we don't have, you know, child labor issues, or get it from a country that still executes people in the, in the streets by beheading them? So Canada really, really, like, it, it's just, you'd have to be a complete fool not to think that we rank very well relative to other producing members. So. As funds, I think, get more sophisticated from an ESG perspective, that 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 narrative about not investing in, in dirty oil and hydrocarbons and Canada and tar sands and all that nonsense, I think, is going to fade. For for Canada, you know, what's what's been our biggest headwinds? It's been the perception of lack of federal support. Um, I give you know, I will, I'll set my political biases aside, but I give Trudeau, um, you know, uh, uh, kudos for backing TMX. It was the right thing for our country, and he did lose political support by doing that. So it was one of the few exercises of leadership that I think that he's he's shown. So as we get closer to the finish line for TMX, line three, this concern about differentials ever blowing out again to you know, $40 or $50 a barrel, I think that's going to make Canada hit the radar screens on more institutions. And at the same time, from a valuation perspective, our stocks, I think, are the most compelling of anywhere in the world. We have the the, the more the more the most sustainable business and decline rates. 
we have the greatest ability to generate meaningful amounts of free cash flow, which will allow for balance sheets to get repaired a lot faster. And then companies can have a conversation about, well, what do we do with the excess free cash? But mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm very, very bullish on oil and I'm very, very bullish on Canadian, uh, the, the entire Canadian energy patch. Okay. So that's oil. Um, <laughs> I've been in the industry since 2006, and I know people who have been waiting for a return of natural gas since then. Uh, where do you feel natural gas stands today? Gas is tricky, as we know. You know, like so much of the thesis revolves around weather, uh, which, you know, if I ever had to do another career, I think I'd come back as a weatherman because you can be wrong all the time and people don't want to <laughs> hear you. Um, so like how the heck do you handicap weather from it? So it's, it's obviously still a regional market until we meaningfully increase uh, LNG export capacity. Uh, some of the recent changes in terms of, you know, being able to put into storage during season, seasonal times when it's required are obviously positive, you know, and takes out the really low, low pricing, I hope. But we still have a reality, and that is, you know, you've got competition from uh, associated gas, which, you know, we can talk about the rig count being down 72% and the lack of motivation on the part of Permian guys to really ramp up as the oil price rallies because they're being told not to invest more. So that's a positive. We can talk about Marcellus guys from a balance sheet perspective having the inability to really ramp uh, activity uh, as, they go, as the gas price rallies. But in, in the end, it's still, there's an abundance of low-cost supply, at least for the next couple of years. Mm. And so you can have short-term bouts if, you know, the weather's really, really hot and really, really cold and takes the industry time to respond, but inevitably it will respond. So today, like I, in my fund, I would have no direct exposure to natural gas. I'm just, I think oil is really the place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does Coastal Gas Link... Um, Canada LNG sort of or LNG Canada maybe change things in a couple of years here or I, it, it's so far out it's difficult to like it, it's not within my investment time horizon if that makes any sense like right. it's so it's so long dated and we're all it, the, the market's attention is so in the here now about you know demand destruction from COVID-19 and when's it going to respond and when's the next you know, is, is line five going to be interrupted on line three? Something that's several years out. I just, mm. I think it's too far out to, to captivate people's imaginations and, and make them want to pay up for, for that type of catalyst. Okay. So finally, what are your thoughts on the Canadian services sector? Um, do CAODC members uh, have any hope on the horizon here? <laughs> well, there's definitely hope. So let's start with the, the, the backdrop on the commodity because it all starts there because that's what generates cash flow. And then we can discuss, well, what are the producers going to do with that cash flow? My own belief is we're entering into a multi-year bull market for oil. And I've been saying this for two years, and I've been wrong. And I've been wrong because of political events, such as the U.S.-China trade war last year, which did impact oil demand. And then prior to that, the pivot in in Saudi strategy being misled by the White House uh, about Iranian sanctions, and that taking a year to, to repair so looking forward, what do I see? I see demand normalization for COVID-19 continuing to happen faster than consensus. I see a world in which hydrocarbons and by extension oil and natural gas continue to grow in their demand by about a million barrels per day, give or take per year for at least the next decade. I don't, I'm not a believer in peak demand anytime soon. 
from a supply perspective, we have OPEC, you know, variety of member countries where they absolutely require a meaningfully higher oil price than where we are today. So I think compliance both now and in the future is going to be very strong. But the biggest game shift is going to be U.S. shale, like the biggest game changer, I mean, because we've for the past five years, we've had to deal with this source of supply and we were, this whole narrative about, you know, it's short cycle time and so wonderfully profitable companies, you know, on a not less something less than half cycle, you know, you can drill down to $20 a barrel and it's wonderful. And these companies have decades and decades of inventory. And now we know that was a complete lie. Like that was complete falsehoods so that many of those companies could raise many, many, many tens of billions of dollars, which have now been completely torched. So what are we left with? We're left with a shale industry, mainly the Permian, where inventory depth is a lot less Tier one inventory, we know is a lot less. You know, if companies weren't making money at 55 bucks, how are they possibly, possibly profitable down to 25? So the new reality is U.S. shale is going to adopt a much, much lower growth target going forward. And then I talked about global offshore. I think it's going into a period, a multi-year period of stagnation and decline. So it points to normalized inventory levels at the end of this year, but a very, very powerful macro setup for the next four, five, six years until investment does respond. And, you know, again, you're talking about global offshore, you're talking about oil sands. It's, it's a very, very long cycle time. So higher oil pricing, looking for $60 next year and a buy is much higher than that in the years ahead until enough supply comes back on. So that all speaks to an industry that should be flush with cash. So the discussion then is, and this directly pertains to your membership, what do the companies themselves do with that cash? Do they go back and drill? Do they go and buy their own stock? Do they do dividends? Do they repair balance sheets? Is there M&A with consolidation? I think in, it's going to be a very dynamic conversation to have. But as my own is one of the few remaining pure energy fund investors in Canada, because it's been one hell of a game of survival these past couple of years, mm. the conversation I'm having with the producers is, absolutely, given current valuations and your share prices, you should be using free cash flow to buy back your stock. So spend enough to maintain production. So that would mean enough to from current rate count for sure. Mm-hmm. But will we go back to meaningfully higher rate count um, if we do get a rally in the oil price? I, I think it's going to take some time. I, I, I think, you know, the priority is going to be pay down debt first, get back. It is, the new reality is going to be, you know, anybody who thought two, three, four times debt to cash flow was reasonable, that's not going to be, that's now going to be one. That's going to be the benchmark for the industry. So pay down debt, then evaluate, okay, what is your share price trading at as a function of maybe PDP using an adjusted reserve price engine, like a price deck that's a little more reasonable as opposed to the, you know, fairy tales and unicorn price deck of the reserve engineers. But there will come a time when the demand for the service sector increases. Mm -hmm. From a stock stock perspective, the challenge is relevant, meaning the, the market cap requirement for a lot of large funds, like I, I, my fund is modest compared to the, the fatalities of the world. They really need multi-billion dollar market caps. And so within Canada, well, Jesus, that's really tough to, to find clearly. From the, from the public perspective, I would say Precision and Tricam uh, fit the bill for being, you know, either market cap or liqu- liquid enough. But it's a challenge for the, for the smaller guys, for, for the funds to get a meaningful uh, toehold for it to be 
be relevant for them. So that's, that, that is from a public market perspective, that's a challenge that the service sector faces. But at least from a cash flow perspective, from a jobs perspective, from an activity perspective, I think the future is much, much brighter. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Eric. We've been joined by Eric Nuttall, Partner and Senior Portfolio Manager with Nine Point Partners. Uh, we hope you have a great week, and thanks for joining us on the Wellcore Supplies CAODC podcast. All right, that is everything for the June edition of the Weldcore Supplies CAODC podcast. Thanks to our guests, Eric Nuttall and CAODC President and CEO Mark Schultz. Uh, thank you very much to our sponsors, Weldcore Supplies, the filler metal experts. And of course, thank you to you. Thanks again for listening. Uh, if you like what you hear, please give us a like or a share. Uh, and we hope to have you back next month where we'll have some great guests for you. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the summer so far. And until next time, keep it turning to the right.